Hi, everyone, and welcome to Elite Rugby SNC podcast. First off, if you haven't already, sign up and join Elite Rugby SNC. We provide you with all your strength, conditioning, speed, and recovery needs. You can try before you buy, so try our seven day, $7 trial and get a taste of what we offer here at Elite Rugby SNC. Also, sign up to our newsletter and receive bonus free content each and every single week. So take your game to the next level, become a beast, and join Elite Rugby SNC today. So today we, we are, have a special guest. So Megan Dennis is joining myself and Ben today. So Megan is a physiotherapist, has been a physiotherapist for a while now and has got a vast experience. So her previous roles have been with the Queensland Reds up there, um, the top of Australia. We have a very, very good super rugby team, has had previous experience working with the Wallabies and, and Wallaroos as well, has been a physiotherapist for the Junior Wallabies, Prior to that, was a physiotherapist at Brumbies Rugby, looking after the academy and pathways. Also has been in the clinical setting at Elite Rehab and Sport in Canberra, and has spent many seasons with Royals Rugby in Canberra as well. So g'day, Ben, and g'day, Megan. How are you? Hey, Gun. Yeah, good, thank you. Great to have someone that I've worked with for a long time on, on the podcast. Yes, Great definitely. Thank you. <laughs> So how are you been going, Megan, lately and during this, this in 2022? What's, what's it been going like for you? Yeah, it's all good. Um, it's been really cool to be part of a professional rugby team. Um, so I've kind of done lots of, you know, like uh, part-time stuff on the side, but really got to kind of step up into a full-time professional role like, over the last kind of nine months. Um, so I've really enjoyed that. Um, and then, you know, obviously the Reds have kicked off to, quite a solid start to the season so it's been um very good yes def definitely a good start to the season um it was a very good game the other week with the brumbies even though the brumbies didn't play that well it's good to see the reds sort of show that like just just get a bit of revenge for the the previous week you know so it's a, it's a good really good rivalry that they've um established i'm, I'm sure you're still going yeah. for the brumbies though oh i don't know <laughs> <laughs> uh, so funny that's all good. So off the bat, first question, over your time as a physio, what has been the key differences of working at amateur rugby, academy level rugby, super rugby, and also international rugby? Okay, so there's um, quite a few differences between the programs, as you can imagine. Um, the main difference is probably revolving around contact time with the players. So, you know, you've got kind of one to two training sessions maybe three hours a week if you're working in amateur rugby versus you know your 40 plus hours a week when you're in the super rugby and international levels um also then you've got uh, access to facilities and equipment um differs so that's you know such as your gym your testing equipment um and recovery modalities and that kind of thing so obviously that's a big difference from like your amateur then stepping up to even your semi-professional or academy level um funding into the program so whether you've got players that who actually have to pay for their own physio and gym and facility or if they're getting it for free or if they're being paid to access it so that can be a big difference um and then as well as funding in terms of the staffing so you know the more professional the program gets the more staff are employed so you kind of get to specialize in your area rather than being i guess a jack of all trades or and a master of none um, and then you've got like other influencing kind of factors such as um, whether the players have to work outside of rugby um, and other psychological pressures such as like um, contracts and selections and that kind of thing. Um, so if you dive into that a bit deeper, I guess like so amateur rugby, 
so you've got like one to two training sessions a week um you you know you may need to um, see them externally to their footy sessions um so that's a thing as well so they're going to have to like self-fund their rehab so they may not be getting as much uh supervised rehab that they need um and you're really relying on the player to commit independently to their rehab which may not always be effective at an amateur rugby level um and then you know there's likely difficulty in accessing appropriate facilities obviously for rehab so their recovery equipment a rehab gym a pool and that kind of thing too um there's a big one's a limitation in like lifestyle factors like most of them are going to have a full-time job um outside of footy so that limits i guess their time capacity to get those like one percenters done for their rehab um and also impacts their rest and recovery time i suppose like if they've got a physical job um, or a physically demanding job that can really kind of correlate to I guess delaying their return to performance if um, if they can't commit to, uh, to as much time to their rehab um, and then as I said staffing like obviously in amateur rugby you know besides being the physio you may be the massage therapist the strapper the main medico if you don't have a doctor there you might even be the SNC like I know in my club rugby days I worked um, for many years without an SNC um, so you really kind of don't get the chance to um, like knuckle down and master like your area of expertise, um, but you do still require an understanding of all the areas. So that's something like cool that's different. Uh, then if you move up to like academy level, so you've got like um, contact with them like three plus times a week, so a few more hours. They're going to have availability to the facilities such as like gym and testing equipment, like you know your force decks and your force frames. Um, for like assessment purposes and then um, access to recovery equipment like your Compex and your Normatex and ice bars and all that kind of thing. So that can all contribute to, I guess, decreasing rehab time and making our job a little bit easier. Um, And then I guess most of the time uh, academy players will have their rehab funded, but there's a huge variant like your contracted versus your non-contracted semi-professional players. So like I'm sure it's the case uh, across this kind of level in like most sports though so that can be a bit of a limiting factor um, and then other influence like like these boys are, or players are still working full-time so um, only a handful maybe on a good enough like supplementary contract to be working part-time um, and they've got a huge psychological pressure to perform like really well because they're right on that edge of like are they going to make it as a full-time athlete or not um so you know if somebody at that age and that level gets a long-term injury um you know that that's going to have huge impacts on their potential career opportunities and the ability you know to be seen as such um and then like if we jump up into staffing you're going to have um you know you might still be the only physio but you're going to um you may manage the rehab on your own but you're always going to have that like snc support from you guys and um, so, you know, we can kind of maintain that strength and fitness and you'll have access to coaches that can do with like, uh, you know, their skills and all that kind of stuff on the side. So that can make it a little bit easier as well. Um, and then if you jump up to then super rugby, <laughs> you've got, you know, 40 plus hours a week with players. Um, and then, you know, you've got no time pressure to fit in the rehab and I guess maximal opportunity to complete like every little detail that you might want in a rehab program. Um, you just have to be well planned um, to arrange the schedule for the day, the week or the month or whatever, you know, the time of season, for instance. Um, You're not going to have any limitations in there um, in access to facilities. Um, So you've got, you know, full availability to test them, 
full availability to recovery equipment, you know, a fully equipped gym, whatever they need. Um, they'll also be, you know, remunerated for their time. So whether they're in full health or in rehab, it kind of won't really matter. They're still going to um, be paid um, so they don't have to work externally. So they're going to have um, optimal rest and recovery time. So that can also lessen our rehab time as well. Um, I'd say staffing is the major difference between your semi-professional and then your professional programs. Um, in a Super Rugby Plus, you're going to have, a, you know, each individual player is going to have a team behind them with multiple physios, rehab physios and SNCs, your main squad SNCs, um, you know, specialist skills, coaches, doctors, whatever. Um, so, you know, their rehabs kind of formed as a multifactorial approach, addressing all the areas that you may want. So as a physio, I guess it means you can really knuckle down on your area of expertise. Um, but, you know, then again, in Super Rugby, there's going to be that all those higher pressures in terms of selections and contracts and that kind of thing. So you could have, um, I guess, a psychological stress could influence rehab more than at other levels do. Um, and I guess a big part of your job as a physio in any elite kind of level sport is managing that um, psychological impact, particularly on a injured player. Um, and then you've got international rugby. So that's like the next step up, although quite similar to your super rugby kind of level in terms of availability, anything that you might want. Um, the main difference would be the experience level of the player. Um, and that usually corresponds to their uh, expectation of physio um, or their resilience to injury and commitment to their recovery, you'd hope. Um, and so there's less education from us as physios and you can spend more time um, on how to maintain their body rather than how to be a professional rugby player, for instance. Um, so there's big differences um, in the ability to deliver uh, the service, uh, optimal service as a physio um, between all the levels of programs. Um, and that can directly influence the recovery experiences for other players. Yep. Yep. Really comprehensive answer there. You've, uh, um, I just wanted to ask a little side question. Do you think yeah. your time at club rugby and all the different levels has helped that progression? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, definitely working in club rugby, as I said, being like, master of all the trades or not being able to be a master of all the trades and learning, um, you know, what each kind of other area needs to do and like dabbling in that a little bit. And then as you get, as I said, more and more professional, you kind of get to focus on your area more. It's certainly helped in kind of, I guess, transitioning from trying to get bare minimum done so someone recovers from their injury to then being able to focus on like doing all those one percenters and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's certainly been a nice transition for me. I think not everyone transitions from club and then to academy and then to, you know, junior international programs, et cetera. But um, yeah, I've certainly found it super helpful and maybe have a better understanding of what goes on in all the other areas for that. Yeah, yeah. I thought that might be the case with that experience, yeah. yeah. It mm. sounds like a good experience because you've developed your your coaching eye, from, but from a physio point of view, you've been thrown in the deep end of having to do all these rehab programs, but also tell them how to structure their gym sessions, what to avoid, what to do. And I think it's really cool that you've shown that progression over your time, but yeah, you've developed a really good coaching eye. And if you were to come over to the SNC space, you would uh, do a very good job as well, but you can stay as a physio if you want to. 
thank you. <laughs> um, another side question would be, are you very careful with the language you, you use around athletes? Like you say, oh, geez, that's pretty bad. And the athlete's like, damn. Or are you like, yeah, are you very, very specific with the wording just to make sure that it's, it's okay, we're going to do this plan to get to that goal? Yeah, 100%. If you do say something funny or out there and you see a different reaction from a player, um, it can really impact, as I said, their psychological well-being around their injuries. So um, we find it a lot with, uh, I guess, recommending timeframes. So that can be a really hard one. You know, you want to tell them it's probably going to be six weeks, but if you tell them six weeks, and that's going to totally break them, then it's almost best not to tell them it's going to be that long in the first instance. So you've got to really read your player and really get to know your athlete to understand whether they can or can't, uh, what they can and can't kind of comprehend and how they're going to take that. So yeah, definitely got to be super careful with languages. Um, and, you know, something might be a niggle rather than a tear or something, you know, you can kind of um, make it sound a little bit softer than it might actually be particularly for those at risk of like falling into that you know dark rehab space mm. um it's, you know we all know that you know type of player that falls into that very easily so yeah definitely got to be pretty careful with language awesome so how do you as a physio work successfully within the coaching and performance team Yes, yeah, is a good question. So um, I would say it's all about communication, right? So having um, open dialogues with the coaches and other members of the performance team, I think is really important, um, particularly the more professional the program, uh, as you're dealing with highly specialised professionals, um, but each with a really large investment um, into player welfare. So, you know, to allow everyone to work to their optimal level, you certainly need to communicate um, and plan together as a staff team. Um, I'd also say, you know, every team environment has differences, like in every workplace, not just in elite sport. Um, you know, you can come across personalities that you may or may not find easy to work with, but I think the key is to embrace each other's strengths. Um, so, you know, each person in the team brings experiences from lots of different areas. So working to the strengths of those around you um, is really important for the best outcome of the athletes. So, um, you know, your roles and responsibilities as a physio is, is potentially going to alter in every team that you're part of. Um, as I kind of mentioned, um, you know, going from like semi-professional to professional, you know, a physio's role is going to be different depending on who you've got around you and the strengths of the team around you. Um, and then along with that, I think you still need to kind of recognise um, if you're not the best person to deal with the circumstance and seek assistance from others um, in your team or externally. Like I'll often consult with um, a, an expert physio in the area of the injury that I'm trying to rehab, um, you know, if I feel like I'm missing something or if something's not quite going to plan. So, um, you know, I feel that only like builds the trust of the team around you. Um, just so they know that, you know, you've got your best interest or your heart invested in the player rather than kind of just your ego of getting better. So, yeah, those are probably a couple of the main things that I would, have, would say I've learned. Yeah. Going to jump in there and say um, it's probably really good practice from a medical point of view to jump in um, if you don't know something and to get an expert opinion. Probably my experience from uh, in the performance in SNC, well, it's probably something um, we need to do better in terms of uh, sticking your hand up and going, I'm not an expert in that area. I'll seek a bit of information, especially around the injury point of view of um, specialisation there. 
So I think uh, the fact that I've seen you do it a couple of times, it's and most physios do do that. It's probably a compliment to your, um, I guess, your profession that you do that and something I feel we can learn a lot from. Yeah, as I said, I think it's just, you know, as long as everybody's working towards the common goal of um, getting an athlete better, it doesn't matter if you kind of turn around and go, shit, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing there or let's check and get somebody else's opinion. And, and I think it just, yeah, builds you as a, as a high performance team to seek that rather than kind of um, pretend that you know the best when maybe there's other people out there who can give you those little bits and pieces. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And it's just remembering that the player is, is the focus, but you also got to work as a team to then help that player as well. And I think we can get a bit in our own heads a bit and our egos get too high and you're like, nah, go away. I, I want to do it this way. And yeah, it's really cool that you, you touch upon those points of seeking out help if you don't know, but remembering the athlete comes first and you got to work as a team to help that athlete. Yeah, exactly. So with club rugby underway in Australia here, what are some recommendations you would give club players to stay healthy during the in-season? Um, yeah, so I guess you guys as SNC may have more input on this than me, but, um, you know, most of your preparation in terms of strength and conditioning gains are going to be achieved in the pre-season. Um, so during the season, from a physio perspective, it's going to be more about maintenance and avoiding those preventable injuries as such. Um, so to do this, you've got to keep up your training load from week to week. So we don't have any dips or spikes um, in the amount of training you're doing, um, as this can predispose you to an injury. So pretty much just try not to miss any training sessions. Um, that can be a good recommendation. Uh, another thing you can do, um, which can be super helpful, is self-reflection on a training day or a game day in terms of your wellness. So uh, this is done like as a structured questionnaire format in most elite sports settings every day. But, um, you know, the factors that uh, aren't commonly spoken about, which are risk factors to injury, are things such as like lack of sleep, fatigue, stress, high muscle soreness, or just generally feeling kind of run down. So focusing on getting enough sleep and not pushing yourself during a training session if you're not quite feeling 100%. So that could be healthy to stay, uh, sorry, helpful to stay healthy uh, during the season to avoid an injury. Um, and then not forgetting to do rest and recovery. So that's really important. So like if you're injured on a Saturday during a game, like making good choices for the rest of your weekend will certainly help um, or hinder depending on the choices that you make. Um, like for instance, you know, in elite sports settings, you may find there's like a zero alcohol rule for those injured players. So, cause it obviously has a detrimental effect on recovery. So making good choices if you're injured. Um, and then like, obviously a big one is like, if you've got a niggle, get it sorted as soon as possible um, with your physio. Uh, and if you get injured, you have to kind of um, have it properly treated and take the advice on when to return to performance appropriately as um, the biggest risk factor for an injury occurring is having a previous recent injury. So that's a big one as well. Yeah. Yeah. Really good advice there. Turn up to training, get enough <laughs> sleep. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's something that everyone preaches, but I think people don't understand until they've made a few mistakes sometimes um, that, that uh, a lack of sleep or they've, had a few drinks on an injury that you know, you know, or what would have been a niggle, but there's created a lot more swelling, a lot more trouble. So um, try and take the lessons from the physio here or people that have made other mistakes that you don't have to repeat. Yeah. Yeah. They're simple things to do, but a lot of the time you kind of, 
you need to live and learn them um, to really know that they're applicable to you. Easy done. So as a physio, how do you rule people in and out of games? Complicated um, question, this one. It is a very, very complicated question. Yeah, so it's a really hard one to answer without like a particular injury example, but like in terms of cutoff time, uh, I mean, it depends on your coach and your high performance team um, and their preference, but you may even like warm a player up 10 minutes before the game. And if it's a fine line, they may be ruled in or out, but just before kickoff, but um, it really depends on the injury and the player, but it's usually easier to tell um, before then that they'll either be able to play or not, but sometimes it comes down to the, to the fine line. Um, in terms of then ruling in or out, like obviously this is again injury and player dependent, but like this is on the basis um, of the player's ability to perform and prevent further harm. So, you, you know, the player must be able to perform well in a game um, to be considered in rather than just being able to run or being able to make one tackle, for instance. Yeah. Um, and you really need to weigh up whether it would be in fact causing the player more harm uh, with their injury to play on as your job really is to do no harm. Um, and then other factors that really influence that decision is say like the player's psychological readiness to, um, to play as well as the impact of the player on the team, which tends to be more of like a coach's opinion. Um, and then the importance of the team's outcome and the time of the seasons. So there's quite a few things to consider whether you're ruling somebody in or out. It's not like so black and white. Um, and then like in terms of like ruling someone out of a game, like taking them off the field, um, again, that's like really injury dependent, um, but it mostly resolves around the player's ability to continue to perform efficiently um, and without causing a detrimental effect to their injury and recovery after that. Mm. And sometimes that player, say they're out playing on the field, would you like you like you haven't seen them get tackled or carry the ball or but you you, know, you notice that they're limping a little bit how long would you give them would you just be like if they can't perform a change of direction effectively or you've noticed and they've tried to tackle or carry the ball that they're just not right would you just yeah yeah you'd want to assess them as soon as possible so the next break in play if they don't go down um you'd want to check it so sometimes you know you can have something like an acl it hurts a lot in the first instance and then you think you're fine and you keep playing on um so you they're really easy things that you can quickly check and obviously rule somebody out straight away if they've got a significant ligament damage or a significant instability in the joint or like a significant like a muscle tear that's going to be worse and that kind of thing um I think, uh, yeah, so it's hard to kind of say from those rules of like if they're limping, how long do you give them? But um, it depends on the injury. Um, but it also depends on, I guess, yeah, those other things like can the player keep playing on? Um, you find probably at a club rugby level, players may try to push more because they don't have as much understanding of their body and it's, um, you know, they're quite committed to the club and the team, whereas maybe a professional um, super rugby player really knows their body and knows that it's going to really affect them for a certain period of time if they push on. So um, I think it's um, player experience as well helps um, make that decision. But um, yeah, ultimately it comes down to your decision as a physio, your initial assessment, um, and you've got to make a split decision of what, what's going on. If you're not sure and it might just be something kind of mild, then yeah, let them kind of crack on and see if they shake it off. But um, yeah, a lot of the time you can you can tell as soon as you get a chance to to give it a well, give it an assessment. 
I think that was one of the most complicated questions you could have been asked, um, ruling yeah. people in and out. You know, I think you gave a good background of all the decision-making process involved mm -hmm. there. And it gives not only players, but coaches insight to what you're thinking about. So um, yeah, it's a complicated one. And you're talking about time of the year, what injury, their mm -hmm. impact, um, whether they're actually going to be a liability if they do play. So I think you've answered that really well. And if you I want do. to ruin a game of football the way you see it, watch football how physios see it because they're just always looking at the ruck behind or something. Yeah, like, you're you always going to watch a game. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you've like mentioned a good point there, like in terms of, um, I guess, building trust from your coaching staff as well so that they know that you've actually got the best interest for the player but also for the team in mind. Like you're not going to take somebody off just because they've got a small rolled ankle that might take an extra two days to recover if they play on. Like you're making all those choices and educating the player really quickly on the field to also make that decision. So, yeah, that building the trust as a team so that your coach kind of trusts your split decision is really important as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And with an answer like that and the way you've explained it, people having that understanding, that's probably why you've been successful and made the, the jumps that you have and been around for so long. Like it is a big difference between, you know, some physios and sports physios, um, just that mindset there. Yeah, I think it is a it's a mindset thing as well. You've got to kind of have the the way of thinking of um, yeah, it's not just injury management. So no injury is the same, but what are the best treatment of options athletes and coaches can do to manage an injury that has occurred at training or on game day? Um, so I guess I'd highly recommend that if a team doesn't have a physio or at least a sports trainer present at training or games, they should really look into getting somebody on board because um, they're the best ones to kind of give you some treatment options and advice straight away. Um, and there's heaps of sports clinics out there that are keen to take on, you know, young physios to get some experience. Um, but like, if you don't have somebody physically present, then at least having someone that you can like phone just to ask um, a few of those options for. Um, and then, but otherwise my advice would be, I guess, to discontinue training or play and then to book a physio appointment for um, your assessment um, so that you can kind of really optimally manage your, um, your injury. Um, but I guess general um, acute injury management still kind of applies, which is your RISA. So your rest, ice, compress, elevate and refer. Um, and don't do calm so that you hate alcohol running and such. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You're going to say something, Just you... sec, um, Yeah, yeah. I, I really like the, the idea of sometimes you, you might not have someone physically there, but if you've got some, a physio on, on standby that you can call up, I think that's a really smart way for a club to do that if, um, if they can't have someone available. And that's probably come about from when you haven't been available to actually go to club training. That's probably how that started. So um, that's a really good thing to look into. And it's something that I probably haven't thought of because I haven't been in that setting for a while, but yeah, I really like that idea. Mm. Yeah. And it certainly helps you to work, I guess, within your scope, right? Like, so you don't expect a coach or a team manager or other players to really know how to, how to manage somebody when they're injured. So, um, you know, as I said, there's heaps of um, sports physios or young eager physios out there that are keen for that experience and that extra kind of, um, you know, professional development so that you'd find someone that's keen to help you. Um, and yeah, even help you on the phone is pretty easy. Mm, it's probably good for if, if you don't have access to that sports trainer or physiotherapist that you write down what happened just so 
you know what for, for the physio for that next day like this is what happened this is what we did bang you can go straight away instead of the player like oh this is maybe how it happened or maybe how it occurred around so they're definitely getting just nominating someone to training if it's the coach or the manager or a parent just to write down what happened in in good detail so then that information can, uh, can be used yeah exactly good advice so what can athletes um, do to best prepare themselves for contact train, contact at training or on game day? Um, so I think contact technique is probably the most important here. Um, you know, I'd really suggest if athletes don't feel 100% confident in their tackling technique to seek like an individual skills session with um, one of their coaches to work on it. Um, but apart from just the technique itself, uh, graded or gradual exposure to contact um, is really optimal over weeks during the pre-season um, and then getting small exposures of contact during the week at training. Um, that'll really prepare you well for a game to, um, to tolerate contact. Um, so pretty much you've got to work on both your technique um, and practice it a bit. Um, but, you know, not too much, not too little, um, but just making sure you're doing it right. I think that's really important. And it's, it's probably a good time when you do get injured that you understand that, you know, well, I can't do everything at training, but what are the things that I can do? And if it's, say, I've got a shoulder injury, but I can still get into that position and just practice against, obviously, no no pad or, or opposition, but just really honing on the contact and, and getting your coach to like, yep, this is correct, or no, we want to work on this or that. So I think it's a really good point that working on that technique can be a really good aspect for players when they do get injured and then also returning back um, to perform. And I certainly yep. think in um, particularly the elite sports setting, um, you'll, you know, people who haven't been in that environment might be surprised at how early you do start those basic skills. Um, you know, if somebody's injured their ankle, they're going to be doing heaps of stuff for their shoulders in a new position or whatever, you know, to keep that contact up. So there's lots of different ways that you'd... Um, yeah, just try and keep that exposure going and introduce skills relatively early uh, with in terms of their injury rehab. Yeah, and, and like you said, finding that sweet spot of uh, not too much but not too little so you've still got all the timing and that you, you're used to that uh, sort of the contact soreness as well. You don't want this big jump in uh, contact load if you haven't been doing little exposures through that process. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you also, you know, from a coaching perspective, you'd be best to advise this, but you, you know, you don't want to go out there and make players beat each other up every single training session because that's not going to be helpful either. <laughs> no, definitely not. Occasionally in the right doses, in the right environment at the right time, definitely needed. But yeah, um, let's save most of that for game day, but let's work on the technique to be able to do that well on game day. Exactly. Yeah. So this next question is probably the hardest question I'll ask, but if you can try and sum it up well, um, you've done a really good job so far, so I wouldn't expect anything else. So what can athletes and coaches do to best manage and treat head knocks at training or on game day if they don't have, say, a, a physio or um, first aider or a sports trainer available? Yeah, so this is, um, this is a great question. Um, and I think we're really getting there um, with the general population education on head knocks and management, um, certainly within the rugby union field as such. Um, but to manage head, uh, head knocks, athletes and coaches really just need to follow the guidelines of recognise and remove. So it's really as simple as that. Um, so it needs, it means you need to recognize that someone's had an incident and then remove them from play or training as soon as possible. 
Um, the thing is that recognizing a head knock can be really difficult, um, particularly if you're, you know, old school looking for someone who's been knocked out cold, unconscious, um, as it's definitely not the only symptom of a concussion um, or a head knock. Um, and it isn't necessary for them to be unconscious to diagnose a head knock or concussion. Um, so you'll end up missing all those like small, you know, innocuous incidences, which can be really dangerous to play on with. So um, I would refer um, coaches and athletes over to the Rugby Australia kind of website. They've got some really good guidance on there that their team has worked really hard at putting together to make it really simple for athletes, coaches, parents, first aiders, whoever, um, like to manage knots appropriately. So I recommend at least your team manager having that information handy and then um, running like an education session for your athletes and staff at the start of the season is a really good idea. But um, my general rule for this is if in doubt, sit them out. Yeah, it rhymes as well. So yeah. <laughs> I, I really like that. Um, I think you, Kieran, we might put a little link to that um, as well when we put it in this podcast on, um, you know, on YouTube and also Spotify as well to that. I think that's really important and not to underplay it. Like, um, yeah, you, you've got to look after that. Like, no training session or game is more valuable than someone's health. So, and particularly in that area. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, it may seem like a complicated question, but it's so simple. If you think someone has possibly had a potential head knock, then they stop playing. It's, yeah, as easy as it is. And then they've got to go and see, like, I don't know, their sports doctor, their physio can advise them and um, and go from there. But, yeah, definitely really good um, resources that Rugby Australia have got going on there. Um, and that's, you know, applicable across all elite sports. It doesn't have to be – or all levels of sports, sorry, it doesn't have to be elite. But, um, you know, it doesn't have to be rugby. It can be any contact-related sport or sport that um, exposes someone to having a head knock. Yep. Skateboarding, riding your bike, falling down. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> putting your bins out of the driveway like who knows <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally so we do have uh two fan questions so ed uh johan is uh an elite rugby snc athlete and has been doing the program for the last couple of months and, and seeing some really good results I, I reached out to him to see if he had any questions um that he wanted to ask this episode so he has come back with two so should a player rehab an injury every day so for example a hamstring injury let's say just a grade one or a minor grade two or should you have rest days in between um yes and no uh so it really depends on the type of injury and the time point during their rehab so um acutely with like a low-grade hamstring for example um you may have someone completing their rehab daily or multiple times a day even um initially such as like doing their rice and their activation exercises but then as the player progresses through their rehab and moves into more like a strength building phase um you wouldn't be rehabbing or strengthening their hamstring every day but you would have some structure over the week allowing for rest and recovery time which you know we need to remember that's just as important as rehabbing the actual um, injury itself um and then you may use those in between days when they get into that kind of um you know stage where you're doing strength of the area and um, you might use those rehab days uh in between days to work on um, other areas such as like strength deficits or imbalances the general fitness cross training or like running technique in the pool or something like that um so for like your elite level players um they'll be actively participating in rehabbing their injury every day 
um, but it might not be uh, the particular injury itself. You might not be, you know, doing a hemi curl or something like that every single day. Um, but then they're also got to try and maintain all the other areas of their development at the same time. So that's like doing all their, um, you know, extra skills that we've kind of spoke about and all that kind of thing. So, you know, generally you touch base when you rehab every day, but it's not going to be the same thing um, and for the, for the injury every day. Awesome. And I think players forget. 100% agree. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think players forget once they are injured, they're like, oh, that's it. I can't do anything else. It's like, no, you can do all those skills that you just uh, mentioned there, Megan. And you can also like, strengthen the rest of your body because that's still got to come back and be able to play at a high level, you know? And if you're not maintaining that strength that you do have around the rest of the body, then something else might go for the game that you do come back on. Mm. I reckon our rehab players um, in, you know, uh, at the Reds anywhere, they're busier than all the other players. You've got so much more to do um, and so much more you can do when you're not being overloaded with, you know, um, smashing yourself at training every day. Like there's heaps of things that you can do. So it's a really nice time for us to work on all the imbalances. You know, someone might have torn the hammy, but they've also got like a niggly shoulder. So you can really spend your time working on that when you don't have the time. At other points in time so yeah it's a really valuable time to um yeah focus on kind of things mm. yeah quite often it's the only point in time where they can um, work on something and actually get better so usually through an injury process um as you would know um you try and actually give them some goals to get some other areas like what you were saying other niggles or a skill or a certain knowledge around the game it's a chance for them to come back better in multiple areas, not just recovering from their injury. So, and quite often, sometimes it's the only point in time they get to do that for some athletes. If you think they go from super rugby to internationals back to super rugby, they don't get that time to prepare like other people do. So um, these little niggles can actually be really good times for their career. Yeah, it can be a blessing in disguise to get injured because, you know, our goal as a physio and rehab SNC and that kind of thing is almost to leave someone at the end of rehab when they're returning to performance in a better way than before they even got injured. So, yeah, it's a nice time. Yeah. Awesome. So last question, what should athletes do to identify and address a potential weakness or imbalance before it leads to an injury? Yeah, so um, you can certainly see a physio for a general assessment to identify those weaknesses and imbalances. And it's what we really try and push from um, an injury prevention perspective. But, you know, not many people are going to take the initiative to book in to see a physio without an injury as such. Um, so if you do want to go like above and beyond or are genuinely interested in injury prevention for yourself, then getting a thorough sports physio assessment is the way to go. Um, but obviously, if you notice any imbalances, such as like you're tighter on one side or you get tired or sore somewhere, particularly after training in games, um, then definitely book in for an assessment. Um, you know, it could save you both time due to injury during the season, um, as well as money spent on fixing the injury if it does kind of lead to that. Awesome. Any final questions, Ben? No, it's... Uh... Actually, are you missing working in the Brumbies Academy together like many years ago? Of course ago? I am. Of course. That, it was a great time working at Brumbies Academy. You know, I really enjoyed yeah. all my kind of workplaces, but certainly working with you, Ben, was good. I hope you miss it just as much as me. Yeah, I do. I don't miss the Academy just working with you, to be honest. Oh, so kind. So kind. If you had the Academy, but like in normal hours, that would probably be better. Mm. It's a late night. Oh, yeah. Mm. 
yeah, it's fair commitment from the staff and the players. You know, it's a really good filter to find out who wants to make it to the next level on all levels, not just exactly. the, the players. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good fun though. I'm only joking. It was really good fun. Uh, good. Awesome. So thanks for tuning in to another episode of Elite Rugby SNC podcast. Remember to like, subscribe and rate Elite Rugby SNC on Spotify, YouTube and also follow us on Instagram. Sign up to become a beast today via the link in the description or via Instagram page. Also sign up to our newsletter and receive free bonus content each and every single week. So don't wait, make that good decision and join Elite Rugby SNC today and take your game to the next level. So thank you everyone. Thank you, Ben. And thank you, Megan. Thanks for having me. Thank you.